Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to the un- Unpodly Softcast. Unpodly Softcast. That's right. With your host, Frank Apple. Oh, you know what I've forgotten to do? What? We have to Test check my, your audio. Test my audio. Hold on. Yes. I really prefer the bassiness. All right, let's go. This is the outro song in the beginning, because we only do it in the beginning anymore. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. We have our own style, and sometimes we just want to do things the wrong way. That's right. No, it's the right, right way. Well, you won't get a clear, concise podcast of one topic. We'll jump to 20 topics. That's, that's right. That's how we do it. We're not focused. We're not. We're very tired, and we're un- uh, we're we have organized. full-time jobs. <laughs> <laughs> We're just old people. <laughs> we're already old and we're in... My back hurts and uh, it's not getting any better. <laughs> oh, well. That's how it goes. But would you rather be doing anything else than spending your day writing beautiful TypeScript and Go code? Uh, oh, let me think. No, I'm all right with TypeScript. So you go. had to think, so the answer is no. That's all right. No, I think that's, that's all right. That's all right. There's nothing more rewarding. This sounds like it's an outro, though. See, this is the issue. No, we have to restart the intro because that sounds weird. Maybe you could like just cut it halfway through or something. Uh, how do you do like a, a YouTube intro? I can't do it. I was... <laughs> I don't have the energy. Welcome, Welcome back, back everybody, to the <laughs> Unruly Soft, soft Pot... The podcast. Welcome. <laughs> it's my. It's the podcast that I make with my friends. And today, hello, friend. Hello, James. Uh, I'm channeling the energy of a 17-year-old YouTuber today, hopefully. Can I just say you're doing a great job? Thank you. Uh, do I have an air horn sound effect? No, oh, that's unfortunate. Okay, it's on the other sound pad. So <laughs> oh, I don't need to do more. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. <laughs> that's what I was that's looking it. for. There you go. Yeah, I've scared the dog now. That'll get all the fans excited. Yeah. Wow. So, Frank, whew, have you? How's technology this week of April? April. It's been good. It's the April of fools. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get fooled on April Fool's Day. I didn't get caught out by anything, did you? I did get caught out by uh, Stack Overflow. I went on Stack Overflow and I thought my monitor had broken because it was like black and white or something. Oh. And that actually happens <laughs> because of like my, <laughs> because I'm running uh, uh, Arch Linux with i3. So occasionally like my compositor will like break colors or something and I have to like yep. refresh the display. Yep. And uh, no, it was just they had like a whole bunch of different filters and they made it black and white to scare me. Which Actually, I did see all doing. those filters, and I went through all of them, and I thought, is anyone even going to use these? No, so I must... it was upsetting, actually. <laughs> so I obviously got caught out. It was a joke, and I wasn't astute enough to pick it up. Oh, you thought that it was serious. I thought it was serious. Oh, uh, like a, oh, okay, yeah, all right. You I don't see. mess with Stack Overflow. I mean, every time I, I was, go, it's, it's such a serious It's time. a work day. Like, <laughs> why would you do that on a work day? You can do it on Saturday. <laughs> Don't do it on like a Monday. I'm pretty sure it was like a Monday or something as well, right? So it was like I was already tired and like trying to figure out how to solve a bug from, the, from <laughs> yeah. Friday's release, right? So 
need to be more aware of these things. Yeah, yeah. Not not cool, Stack Overflow. I'm okay with PewDiePie saying he's going to quit YouTube again. I'm not okay with you changing the color filters. Yeah. I wonder if there was outrage. I'll have to check the, the Twitter sphere. Surely people are outraged about it. I'm outraged right now. I'm going to tweet about it right now. How no. many followers you got on Twitter? I got at least 12. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter. I uh, I tweet about. Uh, I don't tweet, but you can follow me if you'd like. Follow it's not true. Anyway. I've probably got like forty. What do you think? Like forty tweets. Yeah, I feel like good podcast hosts have like a thousand followers on Twitter. Like that's where they engage. Well, we're not good podcast. Does are we? That's very rude of you to say. <laughs> I'm actually quite good at this <laughs> podcasting thing. Yeah, I should never, you know. How dare you it. question me? Of course, you know, we're, we're up in the ranks for TypeScript, that's for sure. Did you not hear the energy that we had just a second ago? All downhill from here. That's all down, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, we can only hold it for a certain amount of time. Yeah. I'm glad that, it, uh, that uh, we're going back to the normal low energy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't keep the hype up, but um, you know what? Have you ever been interviewed for a job? I have, unfortunately. It's uh, it's one of my least favorite things to do in life, but I continue to subject myself to it because I hate it. Masochist, software yeah. masochist. It's true. I like to suffer. That's uh, <laughs> not, yeah, not like you probably are thinking that I mean that, but like I do, I do like to. To suffer up front as much as possible. Just yes, take the leap. That's a very good strategy, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if you've got to suffer, you might as well do it early in the piece rather than later. Exactly. Not as early as possible. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So what are you, what's the, uh, what's the interviews? What's, uh, what's going on with those? Well, I know one of our colleagues was interviewing for jobs of late. Oh, okay. And he, he got hired. And me and you were having the discussion around you know, the interview process. And I think the topic of hoisting came up, like someone got asked a hoisting question or something like that. Did they? I think so. I'm glad that you wrote this down in notes for us to go over. (laughs) (laughs) We're very, very prepared. And then, and then I was thinking to myself, if I had to explain hoisting to someone, I probably couldn't do it. And then I thought I should just give up as a software developer. I can't even do these things to get hired for a job. No, I don't think it actually even matters. And most people aren't going to ask you those questions anyway. I don't think that has anything to do with um, with uh, with too much of JavaScript or anything, really. And also, pretty much every ESLint rule, like, rule system on the planet will ban hoisting and define before use anyway. So mm. is, it, is it really an issue? So, Yeah, well, this is what I was thinking, right? Maybe, because if you go onto YouTube or, like, the blog posts... It's very easy for someone to write a blog post or make a video about, you know, what is hoisting and then try and position it as a, a thing you need to know for an interview. But I find there's so many of these little nuances to the language that you need to know that I never really come across in my day-to-day coding. I just write React components. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if you wanted to write your functions at the bottom, which I do all the time to confuse people. Actually, that was a, a comment I got on a pull request this week was, please don't do hoisting. So, oh. yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I prefer it. Uh, like, I really like having the publicly exported thing at the top of the file. 
Yep. It's like in a class, like you shouldn't have private methods at the top. I hate that like Java idiom of like, oh, put constants and privates at the top. Mm. Like put your public method, which is like the exposed interface at the top because that's the thing that actually matters. None of your private methods matter to me at all. So I want to see those first. So yep. I like to do like the function keyword and then, yeah, pu push all of those like internal functions to the bottom of the uh, the module typically. Yeah. But uh, yeah. It does make sense to have the like the 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 main use of the function at the top, right? Because if you go to a file, you start reading from the top, you want to know what it's doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I try to, you know, you want to write code like it's a, like it's a good book, you know? Or, uh, yeah, I don't know, like a news story. You know how in uh, journalism class, they're like, oh, you know, start with the, uh, the thesis and then like expand it into a paragraph and then expand it into a page? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You like mean. you have the one function that explains what the file does, then you have like two that like yep. flesh it out and then you've got like the big chunky boys down the bottom. Sometimes I get caught, but if if I get come across that in a file and there's like private variables or private methods at the bottom, sometimes I'll be like, Where is this defined? And I'm like, Am I reading this correctly? Where is this coming from? And I'm like, Oh, okay, it's down here. Yeah, I mean you've got like a Go to definition. It's pretty. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like, um, I feel like uh, Vim has really given me more of an appreciation for like the go to definition and like those sort of go to references methods than most people. Cause yeah. I don't have to like move my hand and like right click and like go to references or anything. Mm. Like I just do hit GD and I'm like at the definition. GR, I'm at the references. Control O, I pop back out. I feel like oh. the navigating code is so much. Like when I watch other people try and do go to references, like they actually forget that it even exists, I feel, a lot of the times when I watch people writing code, pairing. I do it all the time, but it's with the mouse. Like, yeah. VS, VS Code, I just hold like command and you click like a function and it takes you to the definition. You got to get the hotkey for it. The hotkey is what, what really counts there. Because that's but like the, really those are the two things you the, should be doing like all the time. But I don't navigate with the. With the cursor, I just navigate with the mouse. Yeah, but this is like uh, if like a noob. All right. Well, I mean, I I I used to play StarCraft like way yep. too much, so I guess yep. I'm a bit into the hotkeys and like uh, APM and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. actions per minute. Yeah, right? I mean, like we play Age of Empires together, and I absolutely you know demolish you be only because I know the hotkeys. <laughs> like that's pretty much. If you knew the hotkeys, you'd be at the same level as me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we play Age of Empires, I'm I'm definitely a more peaceful nation. Yeah, yeah. You just like to make your little ball of every unit possible, and then <laughs> yes. just walk them walk them towards someone. I definitely need to work on the hotkeys. Yeah, and then maybe I can bring some of that into my yeah. editor as well. I, may, I think playing energy. RTS games would make you a better developer. I think it would. Yeah, because you have to. You have. It's all about optimizing. Like it's. RTS games, you can't get better in one sitting, right? So you're always trying to improve like 1%, like that Kaizen rule yep. that we talk about. Yeah. But it's like, it's an actual exercise of like how you would actually improve and get better at one thing all the time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's sort of necessary to climb the ladder, right? Having the, um, having the ability to, to move around and navigate and get ideas out quickly is definitely a benefit. Yeah, because sometimes, sometimes I know I'll be limited by, um, like, limited to try some different approaches because I think, oh, that'll take too long, or that'll take too long. So sometimes, 
it's more time thinking than doing. But maybe if you could just smash out a few quick lines quickly and be like, hey, that works, that doesn't work, whatever. Yeah, smash out a few quick lines, that'd be good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> anyway. <laughs> so you uh, are you feeling some imposter syndrome now? I don't like the term imposter syndrome. I oh, like, why is that? I don't know. Because imposters like use it. <laughs> it gets thrown around so much. It's like That's true. Everyone, it's a bit of a everyone, meme. It's a meme now, yeah. I, I sometimes uh, def- definitely question... I don't really question my abilities, but... Um, I just realized there's always more to learn, more yeah. to do. Just realizing that there's, you know, trying to become a better human, well, more rounded. You know? Yeah. Well, there's always. like a, a growth mindset imposter syndrome and there's like a I'm shit and I hate myself imposter syndrome. <laughs> I know some of my friends get stuck on the like, uh, I'm never going to be any good. Like, and it, it doesn't help you grow at all. That sort of thing. Yeah. Right? No. Yeah. I just realize I'm hopeless and keep going, but you can still get there. I feel like it gives you a level of confidence as well. Like I've accepted I don't know most things and yeah. uh, like I'm perfectly happy to just be like, I don't know what that is in a meeting. And I think that shocks <laughs> people sometimes. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Can you explain to me? It's not, not something heard often in software, I don't think. Yeah. It's sort of like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, there is an expectation to know a lot, isn't there? Yeah. But uh, just having having an open mind and, and trying to learn as you go, very important. Yeah. I think learning, I think what I've learned is patterns, maybe pattern recognition is an important tool to have. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because I feel like there's a lot of things that repeat over and over. We're just abstracting things all the time, aren't we? Yeah, and not so even where's just... the layer of abstraction? Yeah. Not even just software patterns, but like patterns and like how, you know, networks work. Pat- like, I feel like a lot of this stuff is just very, uh, you can figure most of it out just like logically. Like, mm. oh, this thing, accept- if, a, if a server accepts these two inputs, like you sort of know what's possible to come out of it in a way. Like, mm. <clears throat> you know, given if you know the state of it, like you can yep. tell any function or even a, a like a network packet, you know, like, oh, there's an IP address on this packet. So... It must be forwarded to some other location. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like a lot of even networking and all this other stuff is, uh, yeah, logic. Just logic. Mm. Yeah. And the design of the of the object you're interacting with gives clues, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, a well-designed interface. Did we talk about um, my favorite new book? Uh, what is it? I think it's called a uh, philosophy of software design. Okay. By John uh, Outerhout, I think. Yep. Uh, or Ousterhaust or something like that. Okay. And uh, I think I, I forced you to watch his talk, right? There was no force, but yes, you told yeah. me to watch his talk. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean by force. I don't have like a I don't have like a dictatorship like switch to like flip on at any point. Don't, do not leave your desk until you watch this. <laughs> yeah. Well, strongly recommend is what I mean by like force. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I put it on over my lunch break. It was a very interesting talk. Yeah, it's a. No, I liked it. It's very good. He just talks about how um how there's like different types of interfaces, and you can make an interface that it's so obvious, like what goes in and what comes out, like the um the Linux file system. Uh, like there's only like four methods, right? Like uh, read, write, and delete, right? 
and yep. then that that's it. And how much more complicated it is in Windows and how much worse you could mess up that interface, but how well like the C file system um, interface works in mm. Linux. Yeah. Yeah. So is one of the concepts to aim for clearly defined interfaces. Isn't isn't that a concept that's shared somewhere else as well? I'm trying to think now. Yeah, his book isn't like full of completely unique and original ideas. But it is a distillation of a lot of concepts that I think is that that I think you have to sort of put together. Like you'd have to read these books that I have on my shelf essentially to get like and there's like, you know, at least four books on my shelf. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's more from what I can see. But yeah. yeah. But uh, you'd like from reading all of those, I think you could put together the contents of his book. So I don't think he has any original, original ideas, but I do think it distills it in a way that is very effective, much like Pragmatic Programmer, I think, like distills a lot of concepts that you would have to like search all over to find mm. in a way. Yeah. And um, yeah, so one of his concepts is like having <clears throat> uh, uh, deep classes instead of wide classes, for example. And classes yep. could mean anything, right? Uh, he uses the term class because he's like a Java developer, a C-sharp developer or whatever, and he teaches people in Java. But uh, the concept is that you should hide a lot of behavior behind a very simple interface. Figure out like where the the simplest point to cut something off is and then encapsulate it. And it's okay if it's messy and dirty inside of that, um, even if it's a massive you know, 800-line function or something. But if it's encapsulated so that the rest of the system doesn't have to deal with the complexity of like how to render a box or something, mm. then uh, you've improved the system dramatically, which is something I've actually had to, I find myself having to explain to people frequently. Like it's something that uh, I think takes a long time to settle in, but is very important. So making the, um... interfaces as easily consumable as possible, right? Is this the cohesion principle that you were talking about a while ago too, where, you know, if it makes sense, if it, if the logic is cohesive, even though it's a long class, deep class, if it all makes sense to be inside that class, it's okay. It doesn't necessarily need to be abstracted. Is that the same? I think cohesion, you could sort of use it in that way. When I talk about cohesion, I'm normally talking about like, um, so file systems or like services. So like, uh, what like two file like how cohesive are these two files there's a user class and there's like a question class right mm. and they're sitting next to the to each other the what what it like what is similar about those the fact that they're like active record models if we're talking yeah. about a ruby code base but yeah. they like really are not cohesive together like mm. they don't mean that that's sort of what i mean like yeah. the question class like that model should probably be with like the question resolver the question interface and the question controller not mm. like next to every other model in the system mm. right so that that that's more of like a an architectural sort of thing like okay. software architecture thing, yeah. But the 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 deep the deep interface is just um, try and find an interface that hides as much complexity as possible, so that other people, when they use it, they don't have to know everything that you've learned, mm-hmm. and try and make it as surprise free to the point where when they use it, they don't even need to read what the implementation is. Right? You yeah, go that's into always the best. Yeah. If it's I can just when trust you get a nice library, yeah, you get a nice library and you can use the like all the APIs that are exposed quite clear and concise. It's yeah. the best. 
it's very rare that you would need to dig into the uh, Linux file system, you know, and figure <laughs> out like what's wrong with like the the system calls, you know, something like that, right? Yeah, so. Linus would just not have it. No, no. Is he still there? Or is he back? Or no, I think he's he still probably banned? gone. I have no yeah. idea. I don't keep up with the gossip anymore. Mm. Yeah. And then the other comment you made about the book was that it's not actually too thick. It's quite yeah. approachable in it's terms like of its length. Two fingers or one finger thick, depending on how tall you are. Oh yeah. Yeah. Probably shouldn't have done that symbol, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's, it's a very not, it's a very quick long. read, and um, his talk actually goes through a lot of the stuff that um, he he mentions in that book about um, uh, like. And and uh, so philosophy of software design, it's all about uh, like making quality a focus. And it's also, he talks about something that I, I find that I have to explain at a lot of companies as well, which is that like um, if you just stop focusing on quality altogether and you just say, oh, we're just going to build this product, you'll you'll hit a point of immense diminishing returns where you're just frozen in place. Because mm. you've, you've like, I hate to use the word tech debt, because uh, it feels gross because it's something you say to product people now. I don't know why we allow that. But um, you build up so much technical debt and then you have to pay it down and it just weighs on every other part of the system. Like you have really bad interfaces or whatever. And so his concept is that if you were to spend 20% of the time that you spend building a feature uh, focusing on quality, you would end up with a better result. And yeah. In reality, no one outside of the engineering team would even know that that 20% like happened. Yep. And it's not the responsibility of the product people to tell you to like, oh, can you make a quality product? Can you yep. please write tests? You know, Just yep. spend the 20% of time focusing on the design of the system. That, mm. And that's, that's all he, he says to go for in that book. Yeah. Great factoring is, is a good one, isn't it? You know, if you want to keep the quality up. I yeah. love refactoring. It can be it can be a little uh, too late sometimes uh, if yeah. it gets if it's too far gone. <laughs> I think I, in the um, in the domain driven design book by Eric Evans, I think he talks about in the ubiquitous language. If if your language doesn't start modeling what your system does, it's probably time to refactor some stuff, right? So yeah, if the if there's a divergence between the two. And it's probably like you said, if the product manager's there using all these terms and then your code base uses like models it totally different, it's probably time that you go and you know, reset some of the yeah. architecture. Yeah, that's a tough one because um, especially in like the early phase of a company, they'll like they'll rename something like six or seven times <laughs> right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like I'm dealing with a, a code base where there's like four or five names for like a single model. And uh, who knows which one it is at any point. And it's, it's never been like, yeah. So like it, it would be better, I think, uh, if I, I think the best thing to do is perhaps even if you can't change the name, let's say that you have something like um, a user and it becomes a member or something like yeah. and the, the marketing term is like members or whatever. Mm. I think the better thing to do would be if you already have user everywhere and you don't have time to fix it, don't start calling things like member X. Just keep the terminology user 
at, mm. in the code base and let the yeah. marketing team say whatever they want. And yep. you can change the text and the error messages, but don't try and change, don't try and muddy the language inside of the code. Cause I, I think yeah. there's, 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 it gets way worse if you try and say, we're going to do half a refactor of the names. And mm-hmm. then you end up with like, now you've got like the word user and member mean the exact same thing, but like mm-hmm. in different contexts. So yeah. yeah, that'd be what I would be worried about in that scenario. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. If you actually do have the ability to rename everything all at once, then that'd be great. But yeah, it doesn't always happen. So I think it's okay to keep like an internal map of what those terms are to what the current like product, like marketing sort of name is in an mm-hmm. early, I like, yeah, it's not exactly the, the ubiquitous, ubiquitous language, but uh, yeah. 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 That's one that's thing pragmatism. with the, with the, um, domain-driven design book, it definitely feels like it's um, aimed more for enterprise-type systems, not necessarily the startup approach where it's just ship stuff as fast as possible. Uh, no, I don't think that's true. Um, he, you think you can still do it? Like, I feel like there's a more calculated approach when you're doing large systems and there's like a, a longer time frame, whereas the startup, you might have to just take shortcuts and get stuff out the door maybe. No, I don't think so. I think that's no? where I think that's where companies collapse. Mm. I think that's a, a a a byproduct of us living in this weird like startup bubble where everyone's getting heaps of funding because they spit out a, a a demo in six months or something. Mm. I don't think that's necessarily good for the planet or you know the tools that people use or anything like that. A lot of yeah. these companies end up like you know think about the amount of people that they end up having to like you know throw at these problems. Whereas like a lot of these systems if they were built in a, an effective way, you could probably manage with like four people. So mm. I don't know. Uh, but uh, on the topic of like DDD doesn't accommodate for startups, that sort of thing. DDD, I think actually uh, does in a very good way. They mm. tell you to, so er- Eric Evans goes through um, and the, the only place where you're supposed to actually do DDD, uh, tactical DDD in his opinion was in your core domain, which is like the important part of your business. Like if you are doing, uh, let's say a workflow evaluation program, then your workflow service or whatever would be the one that is actually like a domain driven design end to end and is well maintained and has like a separation between infrastructure and all this stuff. Whereas like your supporting domains, you actually can just have a Lambda function with a SQL call in the handler like those are supporting domains and you're going to have people like potentially less uh let's say talented or less experienced engineers than those who may not even like be capable or comfortable working in the core domain right Mm -hmm. but uh, it's important that you get the core domain correct uh because that's literally there's normally some piece of code that you could sort of boil down and say this is what we're selling and uh that's what the core domain would be so keep that in as good a shape as possible yeah the other stuff around it doesn't really matter too much no your email service can be hacky you don't need to you know necessarily have a whole bunch of ddd concepts and have a separation between that i don't think Mm. uh at least not in the beginning uh but especially if you're going to have that managed by some other third-party team or something like that, you know, they might not be comfortable with those those concepts, but uh, your core set of, like, engineers probably should be, right, in a DDD system, so. Yeah. Yeah. 
people like our code base for our app. I enjoy working in it because I feel like um, like we're a startup and our code base is in pretty good shape, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't mind adding new features. Yeah, pretty easy. Changing things, it's not too hard. Yeah, it's yep. good. Whereas if it was, well, it adds to frustration too if um, if you can't hop in and easily find and change code, extend on code, things like that. Yeah. But, um, I mean, uh, so one of the reasons why I hate the term tech debt is because it's actually becoming accepted as like an actual thing. I feel like it was a boogeyman like even five years ago. And now I keep hearing about like product managers talking about, oh, the cost of tech debt, all this stuff because of all these products that have failed. I've worked at a company that has failed pretty much exclusively because of tech debt, not because they didn't have a, a good like, uh, a case for a product or, or anything like that. They just mm. didn't keep up technically because they were a startup and they made a lot of, they cut a lot of corners essentially. So, yeah. But are you saying some people accept tech debt as the norm and then think that they'll just repay it later? Is that, does that happen? Or? Yeah. The, I mean, I think it's happening less now because I think people have seen how many companies have just sort of gone under uh, because of that. Like, you you can go for two years, but it's not going to last for 10, right? And mm. it's very short-term thinking. It's incredibly short-term thinking. It's like millennial-level short-term thinking, mm. <laughs> TikTok-esque. Mm. So to, to not actually like try and design your system and just throw it together with whatever framework is popular that day. So. Yeah. Can we, um, maybe we should just remove the, React front end and put spelt in. What do you reckon? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, do you want to? <laughs> I, I don't no, want no to. Way. <laughs> I, I don't. Okay. I couldn't think of anything. I don't know where that annoying. came from. Yeah. <laughs> well, you said just use the framework of the day. So I was like, okay, let's just use spelt then. Why not? Seems yeah, pretty yeah. popular right now. Well, pick something that you're comfortable with. I, I suppose it also depends. Like you do need to get familiar with tools. But uh, if you're doing something that you actually care about, if you're working on a product you actually want to succeed, don't use a whole bunch of tools that you're not familiar with that are cool because you're just going to run into a whole bunch of problems. If you have to solve problems, you want to solve it on someone else's dime. That's, a, that's another problem. That's another <laughs> statement. You want to know everything when it comes to, the, to your day job. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's why I just refuse to let anyone add anything other than Postgres. So easy this way. <laughs> That's right. We all know you're a guru of Postgres. So if Postgres is in there, there will be no issue. It'll be fine. It's so easy. It'll be fine. Exactly. Yep. Ultimately scalable, resilient. It's battle tested. Just, Can't go wrong. Just the best database. Is this what we're doing now? Yeah, I love Postgres. It's so cool. <laughs> And uh, I love the logo and uh, it's the one that I know very well. So I'm glad that it's the cool one now. (laughs) Imagine if Postgres wasn't cool and it like, I just like talked about Postgres all the time, but everyone hated it. That would be so awkward. From the whole coding community because you would only use Postgres. Yeah, that's true. That would be, that'd be horrible. But then I'm sure there'd be some company flailing company that has to have a Postgres developer and then you could just go there. Yeah, exactly. I'll be like the Fortran guy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Neckbeard. Yeah. You need Se- to have a neck SQL's beard. ubiquitous. It's not going away. We're nah. stuck with it forever. It, it Name something better. You can't. Exactly. 
checkmate uh, atheists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing as glorious has ever entered my life. That's right. But you know what that means? It means that it's the end of the show. And we could talk about Postgres another time because that could, we could do 10 episodes on Postgres. I think we've done 10. We could do 20 episodes on Postgres. We could make a whole course, and we're totally going to do a course. It's going to happen. Maybe right? we should change the name to Unruly Postgres. Unruly Postgres. Yeah, yeah. number one Postgres podcast. <gasps> Are there other Postgres podcasts? <laughs> I found a metric we can we be number one. finally got our niche. Finally, we've nailed it. We used we've to be the to... number one TypeScript <laughs> podcast. Now we're the number one Postgres podcast. <laughs> I just have to find a niche. To fill, so we can be number one again. I can't stand being number two. Being number one, huh? We've never stopped being number one, have we? TypeScript. Yeah, let's just keep going with that, Nate. As long as we don't look at the analytics, it's fine. (laughs) If any other TypeScript podcasts out there are better than us, let us know. Don't let us know. Uh, You can hop in the Discord, follow me on Twitter, and uh, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Lovely, thank you.